0: when I was ordained, a couple of pastors gave me a book uh, by Eugene Peterson on vocational holiness, and it was titled Under the Unpredictable Plant. And uh, he goes through, he works through most of Jonah in that book, speaking to pastors, and, and I read through that book, and I decided that I would never, ever leave a church and go to another call without reading that book again. And so each time I've contemplated... Um, <coughs> And I don't get as many calls as I used to. Back in the day, you know, people wanted me. Now people are stuck with me. But back in the day, you know, I'd get these calls. And, hey, would you come interview for this? Would you come interview for that? And um, he, he writes in that book that the, the Jonah has this pull towards Tarshish. You know, we, we, have a, we have a call that God gives us. And if you ever read through the Old Testament and the prophets and the kings and all of that, the judges... Uh, It it appears that none of them get a cakewalk. Nobody's like, they're not all lining up. Hey, hey, I'd like to lead these rebellious, stiff-necked people that turn on their leaders. What do I have to do? Go to seminary? Yes, okay, I'll do it. We'll do it, right? Uh, You have um, primarily uh, reluctant prophets. Primarily. You have those that are just like, oh, I'm just so tired. I'm so worn out. I'm so sick of your people, um, and, uh, and so he talks about that in his, his book, um, and so really since then, uh, Jonah has just been a part of my yearly study, and so uh, I'll try not to make this too long, but it's just an amazing book. You know, I think it's amazing and it's really cool. It looks like I planned it this way, but I didn't. Uh, You know, for the weird advent that your pastor does, taking a book of the Old Testament and kind of working through it. Right. The weird advent that I do. Just think about where we've been. Okay, we had Amos. What is Amos about? Amos was all of the countries and Israel and Judah, uh, the prophet telling them, you have done all of these horrific things and I'm going to come clean house. Right? I mean, it was just, we, we talked about what the Assyrians did, right? And, and, and how, how, just how, what a horrible place earth was back in those days, right? Nobody was safe, it seems, right? And, and then we got to uh, Obadiah last week. Obadiah, he, he, he talks about all that's going to happen to Edom. Now, when we come to Jonah... He is in that same time period, right? Jonah is in the same time period, and when we read it, he is going to be speaking to the Assyrians, okay? So we, we looked at the Assyrians. They were just awful people. They did horrible things. They had no human rights activists because they were all killed, right? I mean, it, it just awful, awful things, right? And Jonah brings this message to them. And I'm thinking maybe he's along the lines of, Mo, of Amos and Obadiah, and there's probably this sense of, okay, you guys have the upper hand, especially Nineveh. You know, that's this huge, thriving, wealthy, powerful city. Oh, I'm so glad I've been called the Nineveh. I hope I live to see the day of their demise. That's what we would expect. Um, I titled the sermon, All I Want for Christmas is a Plant, um, and <laughs> we'll see how that kind of makes sense. Uh, this morning, we'll spend time in Jonah 4. It's hard for me to skip over the others, so I'm going to do like I've done in the other prophets. We're going to kind of run through chapters 1, 2, and 3, and make sure you understand really what is going on with Jonah. Um, Yeah, chapter 1. Chapter 1 in Jonah, he gets called and he gets sent. God calls him and says, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and speak against its evil. Yet 40 days. So the other thing you'll find in Jonah is there is so much that ties him back to Christ. 40, that's one of those biblical numbers, right? There are 40 years of wandering uh, in 40 days. Right? Jesus was in the desert for 40 days. Moses, uh, Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. Jesus was uh, in, in the realm of the dead for three days, right? So there's so much that ties it in. All the New Testament and the work of Christ, is so much imagery. Uh, that's why we put that verse in there for our assurance, because Jesus says, as Brian pointed out, uh, just when this happens, when this happens, Jesus the prophet saying, when this happens... Uh, you'll believe everything I've said. So there's a lot that goes on. He gets called in uh, chapter one. He gets told to go to Nineveh, and he says, no thanks. Uh, I don't feel like it. My heart is telling me that Nineveh is not a good place for me and Miss Jonah. Not a great place to raise kids. They have no Target, no Starbucks. I don't want to go to Nineveh. Problem with Nineveh, full of Assyrians right? Don't want to be there. No thanks. I'm going to go the other way. Now, there's so much imagery even in that first chapter, isn't it? Like the life of a Christian, being called a certain direction, being called with a purpose, being given a charge by God and saying, I'm going to go the other way. And so when I think I took about two months in chapter one when I was here, and that's why half of people left. But uh, <laughs> probably spent two months in chapter chapter one. He's like, he he's God is providing this, and he is saying, uh, here, here's what you're to do, here's where you're to go. And Jonah spends his money and buys a ticket on a ship to go the other way. Now, Christian, uh, all throughout Jonah, we have this sense of responsibility. Christ gives Christians to the world. And Jonah is given this amazing message. Go and warn these people, Jonah. Go and warn these people. They've got 40 days. There's a grace period, they've got 40 days. Jonah, go warn these people. And Jonah's like, I, I don't want to warn those people. He gets on a boat, and now everybody in the boat, their lives are all in danger. It's an amazing thing. It's, it's the sailors calling out to the various names of their gods. And who's asleep? Jonah's asleep. Who is asleep in the storm on the sea in the New Testament? Jesus was asleep. The sailors come to Jonah. Don't you care that we're perishing? The disciples come to Jesus. Don't you care that we're perishing? Right? I mean, all these beautiful connections. The sailors come to Jonah. Don't you care that we're perishing? And they say, perhaps if you call to the God, your God, We've exhausted all other things. Maybe if you call to your God, he will hear and take pity. And then Jonah's like, not only will he take pity, it's all my fault. It's all my fault. Throw me overboard and and the seas will be calm. Throw me overboard. And here's the other thing you see, this beautiful picture that even these pagan godless you know, the, these Phoenician sailors, they still try to avoid it, right? They care for Jonah's life. He didn't care for theirs. He didn't care for the Ninevites. And it says they row harder, and they try, and they try, and eventually they give in. And then it's this beautiful picture, like uh, the, 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 the seas become calm, and uh, the, the Hebrew, there is a, there is a, peace, there is a peace like is never known you know, just, just this beautiful, overwhelming peace that can only come from God. From his tempest to the peace. And then what happens? Those Phoenician sailors are all converted. So here we see it. God calls a man to go one way. He goes the other way. And even going the other way, even going through the discipline of our God, people are converted. Um, and it ends, I love the way chapter 1 ends. I mean, it's really like a four-part series. Uh, Limited series, maybe the BBC could do right. It just chapter one ends, and he gets thrown over, and he's swallowed by a fish. Roll the credits, and you're like, oh, we gotta wait till next week, right? We gotta wait till next week. I mean, just, just, it's just amazing. And then in chapter two. Um, If you wonder why we focus on the psalms and our call to worship and even in our Sunday school class, what you have in chapter 2 is this prayer that Jonah does inside the belly of a fish. We can't go into a depth, but in the belly of the fish, he prays Psalm 3, Psalm 31, Psalm 42, Psalm 50, Psalm 69, Psalm 88, Psalm 118, and Psalm 120. Those words become his in the darkness while he is being digested and compressed those words become his those psalms become his prayer language and then he calls out like in second chronicles 20 when hezekiah and the people uh they rejoiced it said uh will, will you come down from heaven will you take notice of me and then chapter 2 ends with the fish vomiting him out on the shores uh, you know there 's so many jokes with that, right, like a fisherman, you, know, you should have seen the one I got away from <laughs> uh, right, even a fish can 't stomach a rebellious Christian. I mean all of those that was some good stuff back then in the day when I was preaching that sermon to you. but uh, it again, it ends here it is, right here he is, just vomited out, his skin would have looked horrible, he would have smelled terrible. You know, when, when chapter four goes around and the sun is beating down on him, all of these things, he, he just gets you know, God God controls everything the wind, the waves, the fish of the sea, and, and he he vomits him out in chapter two. And then in chapter three, maybe one of the most amazing outpourings of God's spirit. Jonah preaches. But chapter three, verse one. I miss my dad. And he would tell me in the Old Testament that was his favorite verse. Jonah 3, chapter 1. Marky boy, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Oh, it's so beautiful, isn't it? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That's our God. (laughs) That's what he does for his people. If you belong to him, he will not let you go. You throw yourself away. You move to another direction. You try every way to go on a different path. And he will bring you back to himself. And his word will come back to you a second time. In chapter 3, verse 8, Jonah, he's gone around and he preaches. And here we hear this in chapter 3, verse uh, 6. The word reached the king. He arose from his throne, he removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth, he sat in the ashes, and he issues a proclamation, and he published it through Nineveh. And here's what the king told all all of his subjects. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it episode three ends with one of the greatest i mean we use the word revival wrong this isn't revival this is a great awakening revival is bringing back something that was alive these people were not only dead they were they were awful and god's spirit pours out upon them and they repent. You ever wonder what repentance looks like? This is the beautiful picture of repentance. The king steps down off his throne. I'm no longer the ruler. I'm no longer in charge of anything. king takes off his robe. Everything that I put on that made me feel greater, look greater, be significant to everyone around me, I'm getting rid of all of that. And he sits in ashes, and he puts sackcloth, rags on himself. And then he says to everybody that is responsible that I'm responsible to govern, cry out to God Almighty. Cry out to Him. Don't drink and don't eat. Even your animals, don't feed them. May there be a proper repentance and sorrow over our sin. Now, I'm telling you, when you think about that, if, if you're Jonah Right? If if you're finally you take that step in your workplace or in this community of friends, and like I'm gonna tell you about our God. I'm gonna invite you to repent of your sins. Not, not hey Nineveh, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. No, hey Nineveh, you have 40 days until you're going to be destroyed. And yet they hear. And they repent. I mean, I can't imagine anything more just amazing for a prophet, right? That's what you live for, right? You expect now if Jonah had any youth pastor in him, he would gather all the youth of Nineveh and they'd have like a big Ashtoreth burning party, right? Bring your Ashtoreth, bring all those things. We're going to burn them. We're going to cook hot dogs on them. We're going to sing songs. We're going to, right? We're gonna, I mean, what? Let's build a new building because people here now are not going to worship God, right? I mean, just like you read it and you just think, That is amazing. And then you think about all that is going on in the history of redemption. And Jonah is saying to Israel, Israel, if our God so reacts and responds to these evil, murderous people, how much more does he long for his own people to turn from their sins and stop copying the Assyrians? and stop copying those in Damascus, right? How much more so, right? And so chapter 3 ends. Again, you know the story, right? You probably read it, but you get to chapter 4, and it's just a shocking, it's just a shocking ending to this story. So that's where we'll pick up this morning. Chapter 4. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. In fact, in the Hebrew, it was evil to him, he says. It seemed evil to him. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and he sat on the east side of the city and he made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. For which you didn't labor, you didn't make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? The end. Hi, it. Mic drop. The end. Roll. The credits. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. There is no lasting joy without the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the very end of the chapter, all Jonah really wanted was a plant. In the midst of all that had gone on around him, the shallowness of his existence and his joy in his life is exposed. As I said, there's so much in here. You could just do a study on just the phrase in the Lord appointed. Our God, uh, the sovereignty of Almighty God just comes out in vivid color. And even in here, right, He is appointing a wind... is appointing a plant. Our God is appointing a worm. That's what He does. I think the issue is whenever there is any shred of belief that God's grace to me, to us, to our country, when there's just a shred of belief that it is because something we've done that it breeds this type of, I mean, the, the, the lightest word really is stinginess, right? I mean, you're, you're reading this and you're like, Jonah, the drama queen, <laughs> right? I mean, three times. I just, I, my life's so horrible. I, I just, I, I deserve to die. I just would rather die, All right? You probably heard the story about my son, Luke, not wanting to take a bath. He was probably four or five, not wanting to take a bath. Right, Just just terrible, not wanting to take a bath. And Tammy sends him into the bath. And as he's walking to the bath, I think he's probably four. He's like, I just didn't know my life would end up like this. (laughs) Like, oh boy, are we in for it or what? But when we hold the grace of God, our standing with God, when we hold it, as something we have deserved. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it's that chapter 2 for Jonah. Like, okay, uh, that this pouring out of my heart. I mean, it, probably the highlight of chapter 2 is the phrase, he says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Theirs. That's Jonah's confession of his own sin. That's Jonah's confession of I've run away from you, God, I haven't done what you told me to do, and, and I'm I'm in this predicament and I am pouring out my heart to you. And Father, I'm just one of those. If you cling to a worthless idol, you are forfeiting the grace. But how quickly, how quickly does he go from that to I don't want your steadfast grace and love and mercy be given to someone else. Our life is going to be void of joy if we don't receive the grace of God in such a way that makes us long to see it in others. Makes us long to see it in the worst of others. So this morning we're going to run through this chapter pretty quick. We'll spend most of our time really just talking about this the the shallow morning in your outline. You know, all Jonah wanted for Christmas was a plant. The shallowness that we see in him it is almost impossible to believe. But you know that I'm going to point that back to us, right? The shallow mourning. There's there's three problems, there's three questions, and there's three rebukes we see in here. There are three problems. Jonah says that the city, it's still standing. Uh, maybe Jonah thought they won't believe me. Uh, maybe he thinks, God, you always do this. You know, you always relent. Um, but most likely, I think Jonah just wanted to see their destruction. I think Jonah just wanted to see it leveled. I think... Uh, and and you know, we sit where we are and we think, oh, that's just awful, that's terrible. But we know what those Assyrians did. Right? We know what those Assyrians did. Um, and maybe you've not been hurt enough to understand it. But there are definitely some times when uh, people have hurt the ones I love, where I want to destroy them. Where I'm glad for the distance, where I'm glad for the time to stop and think. But but Moses, uh, Moses, but Jonah. He, he wanted that city destroyed. The second problem is this plant. You know, and I and I could see uh, Jonah sitting there in that, <laughs> in whatever little contraption he had made, talking to his therapist. His therapist saying. Now, Jonah, it's that time of year again, so just make sure that you take care of you first, okay? Make sure, Jonah, because no one else is going to take care of you, so Jonah, take care of you first. I know that all these Assyrians need this and that, and and, and people are making demands of you, Jonah, but by all means, make sure you take care of you first, right? Now, there's some truth in that, right? I mean, we put our own mask on before we assist others, right? There's a a sense of that. But the shallowness of Jonah... (laughs) When he is looking and he is hoping that the wrath of God will come down and destroy a city like the cities of the plain, Sodom and Gomorrah, and then seeing this plant, I mean, again, the word exceedingly. He was exceedingly angry. He was exceedingly happy with the plant, and then it dies overnight. (laughs) Right? I mean, you've probably been there. You're like... You know, just like just one thing after another. You know, it always comes in threes. You know, your fridge breaks and the water heater goes out and you're sitting there just waiting for it. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? Right. And then there's a flat and you're like, really? Really, God? Right. And in the moment, it does seem that way, doesn't it? Like, is there not something else you could be doing? Right. And Jonah's like, man, my head is burning. He's probably bald. Right? I mean, he was probably a bald guy, had all that fish acid on his bald head, and the sun's beating down on his bald head. We got it tough, folks, and he's like, man, this is wonderful. You're taking that, too? And the third thing, of course, is that blaring sun. He really couldn't control anything. His direction, his geography, his location... And then the sun comes out and burns the top of his head. Um, so this shallow morning really it does point out this that human beings run back and forth to these shallow hopes, insecure hopes. Um, our happiness, our joy, seems to depend on so many variables: on people, on the economy, on ourselves, on our weather, on whatever. But we we are a people that need hope. We are people that are made for hope. We are people that have a purpose put out before us. We have a longing before us. We hope for better days. We work towards better days. But I want you to think about that. In this last year, what are the things you find yourself mourning over? The things maybe that you would even shake the fist at God and say, This too? Why is this gone? Why don't I have this? Um, a couple of years ago when we were in seminary, Um, there was a bunch of single guys that had the apartment below us and um, they were scared of Tammy. (laughs) No, maybe not scared of Tammy. They loved Tammy because Tammy would bake good stuff and occasionally they got to come up and eat some of that good stuff. Uh, But one day they were out there smoking cigars. Tammy doesn't like the smell of cigars and so she slams our window. And then I come back downstairs to talk to them and they're all hiding. Yeah, but another day Saturday afternoon and we hear this loud crash and screaming downstairs. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no, something's happened. And so I go running downstairs and there's a broken door. And I'm like, man, what happened? One of the guys, (laughs) I'm not going to use names, one of the guys go, oh, Notre Dame dropped the ball in the end zone to win their bowl game. I'm like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, and then of course when he said Notre Dame of course I knew who did it right I mean it was who you know who 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 did it and I see him in class the next day I'm like how much is that door going to cost you because I don't want to talk about it <laughs> we find ourselves doing those things and we can see it sometimes clearly in other people can't we it's easier to see it in other people but Johnny invites us really to look inside a plant wind what are the things that you mourn and complain over and so God then responds with these three questions and I think of these questions like God talking to Job when he says hey where were you Job when I put the earth in its orbit hey Job have you seen the storehouses of rain and hail hey Job who's the one that tells the deer to give birth I mean, just, I, I, just, I just love these very basic questions. Who are you? And so God goes to Jonah, and he says the first question, have you the right to be angry? And then we understand. We, we understand. Jonah says, yes, yes, I do. Um, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee for I knew you were gracious God and merciful and you were slow to anger and you were abounding in steadfast love and you were relenting from disaster. You you see, when the prophets came, and this is for Amos and Obadiah, for Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, when the prophets came and spoke to people about judgment, they spoke of it beforehand because they were calling the people to repentance. They did not come in a fatalistic way saying, ha ha, these horrible things are going to happen to you. They spoke in a way that was to cause people to return to the living God. And Jonah said, I don't want them to be saved. Now, when you think about that, in our own lives, there may be people that you hate. There may be communities you hate. There may be a Hezbollah in your life. And Jonah was sent to them. And every time I do the pastoral prayer and I pray for these wars and I pray for people and I pray for situations you know, and, and, and then when I do pastoral counseling sometimes and I I've, I've run into awful situations, I pray for the salvation of the lost. And that really needs to be kind of the, with our enemies, with those we wish who would stop. Maybe our thoughts are like, Jonah, can you just do away with them? Can we move away from them? And our prayer should be, Lord, should I go? Now I'll tell you that this book was foundational in the life of Tammy and me. Um, when we went to plant in California, my heart was set on planting at Lake Monticello in Virginia. There was a group of people there that was from our church. Housing was a little cheaper. And we could actually get a garage for what we paid for a home in Charlottesville. I remember thinking, that's going to be so cool to have a garage. Right? And and um it was all laid out for us. And we went to the assessment center and they said, uh, we can't get people to go to California. Everyone in the PCA is planning in the SEC. <laughs> it should be called the p c s c c Uh everyone's planning in the in the SEC areas, right? And um and I, oh yeah, I I don't want to go to California. And I was reading through Jonah. And I came to the very last verse. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And beforehand, I made like probably lots of us do jokes about California. I joked about when's that big earthquake gonna come and put all those crazy people into the ocean. When I go through, if you driven to California and they have a fruit and nut inspection, I used to always tell the people, you're doing a terrible job. They have all come in, <laughs> maybe it should be on the other side of the border right I, I mean i i I had a just a disdain for an area and a culture and truly a people and i couldn 't get rid of that verse, and the Lord really impacted me with that are Are you not concerned about this city? Are you have a right to be angry about my grace? Would you rather see the evil destroyed or the enemies of God turned into sons of God? The second question, have you right to be angry about the plant? Oh my word, health and wealth gospel in a single plant. Right? I've served you, God. I've done this, this, this. We all have health and wealth gospel in our hearts, right? We we all do. We have it. We, we we're not I'm not Joel Osteen up here, but we have that. We 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 we, we it's our default Back to the way we think God should take care of us. Third question, should I not be concerned about that great city? The book then ends with these three rebukes. The great city, the 120,000 who do not know their left from the right. Many commentators think he's talking about children. There's a certain age when a child can discern between left and right. I haven't gotten there yet. Tammy still has to point for me. But but 120,000 children, a great city... And then he says, and all these animals, right? I mean, there's a beautiful picture at the end of that, right? Our, our God is holistic in the care for creation. He cares over people, cities, children, animals. All of creation is mine, Jonah. Should I not have compassion? I'm going to skip those other two points and we'll move right to the end. Um, I said I was going to talk about It's a Wonderful Life. And every time I've invited people to go, I've thought, I need to do a little disclaimer. It, it is m- m- one of my top two, probably, Christmas movies. I love it, and I always tear up at the end. I love the way that there's a picture of what you do now matters. Um, but if the gospel came into that city, the story would end, really, with Potter. The story would end with Potter walking in and repenting. With Potter being able to see, I've been given all of this over all of these years, and I've hurt people, I've hurt my city, and I've even probably hurt animals, right? And it is not the good works, it is not the friends, it is not the memories, it's not all the good things I've done and how those have saved people, it's the child that was born on Christmas morning who took my sins upon himself. Now, we're still going to go see the movie, and we're still going to tear up, right? I mean, and I'm still going to love it. But the gospel is such a sweeter story even than that, isn't it? And until we see ourselves not as George Bailey, but as we see ourselves as Potter, we're missing out missing out on the amazing work of God's grace poured out on each of us. In Galatians, the Apostle Paul writes and says, what's happened, uh, Galatians 4.15, what's become of your blessedness? I like the authorized version that just says, what's happened to your joy? So Christian, I want to leave you with that question. What's happened to your joy? Jonah had this amazing opportunity to rejoice in the saving work of God. And instead, he was so focused on what he felt he deserved, he missed it. But you know what? He really didn't miss it all. And you know how I know? We have this book. I said a few weeks ago, Psalm 51 was my favorite in the Psalms, and it, it, and it confirmed to me that I can believe the Word of God. What king would ever write and confess and make a song about his sin? What prophet would ever write and tell, here's what went on in my heart. Here's what God did to me. Here's what I said. Here's what I thought. And that's how great our God's grace is. You would think that after all he had seen and encountered, that our God would say, Jonah, I'm just done with you. I'm done with you. I intended to do something so wonderful. And you you did everything in your power to turn people away from that. And yet, Jonah, I'm not done with you. Let's pray, Father. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, and it has come to us a second time, and a third time, and a fourth time. We set apart these elements for us, Father, that we would feast and rejoice. Oh, that the hope that we have will not fade, diminish, be swallowed, rust, be stolen. The hope that we have to be with you will be realized. And as Jesus has promised, and He is faithful, that we are a part of what He has done. We take part in it. We receive in it. And so, Father, we set these elements apart, that as we eat the bread... It is not uh, somehow us craving a a plant or a shelter. But, Father, it is us believing and trusting that you have forgiven our rebellious, self-centered, shallow hearts. And you have loved us in the midst of being a people that tend to feel that we, we, we are owed some special privilege by you. Oh, Father. Thank you that you do not treat us as our sins deserve. Thank you, Father, that you send a scorching wind, a fish, a worm, whatever is necessary for us to have a reality check with you. May we partake of these elements in true faith and with great joy. (coughs) Father, we thank you that we stand at a place where we say, indeed, uh, someone greater than Jonah is here. And as Jesus said, that he would be in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man would do the same. And that you suffered on our behalf, that we might rejoice. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.